Welcome to the Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 73. My name is Carter Blue, and I'm your host today. Thanks to everyone who has sent prayers and positive vibes to my dad. He's doing a ton better and getting stronger every day. Now today, I've got the sports performance coach for Stanford's women's basketball, Ali Kirshner. They spent six weeks as the number one ranked team in the nation until finally being knocked off this past weekend. Ali has a master's degree in exercise physiology from Kansas, where she was an assistant sports performance coach. She's also the host of a great podcast called Ride the Gray, which is an exploration of lateral thinking. What's lateral thinking, you might be asking? Well, they're going to dig into that today, along with the pros and cons of being a specialist versus a generalist. Here's Ali Kirshner. Ali, welcome to the Who Commitment Podcast. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on because you have the privilege of working with the number one women's basketball team in the nation. And I've been to Maples Pavilion and seen all the banners. I mean, that tradition is unbelievable. What are some of the things that are underneath the surface that make Stanford such a special place to be? Well, the first thing I would tell you is that we're actually not in Maples Pavilion right now. Oh, you're not? We are not. We have actually just returned last night from a three-week road trip. Our county, because of COVID issues, has prohibited indoor athletic activity. So this is going to be a great story. We basically decided to just go on the road and find games to play. So we were in Vegas for a week, and then we were in Berkeley for a week, and we just got back from LA for a week. And we are just inviting teams to come play us because we cannot play at home for the time being. So when we finally get back into Maples, I will also enjoy looking back up at those banners. But yeah, like you said, to your point, Stanford is an incredible place. And right now we're number one. We're very fortunate to be number one. Who knows what we'll be when this actually comes out. But the things that they say about Stanford by and large are true, which are the commitment to excellence here is unmatched. What I think is really unique and special is that when we were in a normal year where we have all of our athletes in the weight room, we have our basketball team in there and you might look to your right and you might look to your left and we're the worst team in there. We're next to national champions on the soccer team and we're next to the Olympic swimmers that come in and still train. And it's almost an expectation. There's no celebration or confetti for making it to your conference championship. There's no celebration for going to the Final Four. The only time you're celebrated is if you win a national championship. And I don't know if there's anywhere else in the world that's like that. So it is truly in a unique place in terms of the athletic excellence. But as you can see, obviously, there's the academic component, which I would say is just as large a part, if not. And the student athletes that I have a privilege of working with are truly special in that they all have interests and qualities and skill sets. They're all smarter than me, which is a really weird place to be as a coach. They all ask these really intuitive, great probing questions and just makes for this really special culture and environment every day to come to work to. 
But yeah, I just think about one of my favorite parts of being at Gonzaga is being around that excellence, people striving to get better every single day. That's got to really step up your strength conditioning and your coaching game, just being around an environment where so many people are following their dreams. Yeah, I would say, like I kind of alluded to, you kind of got to be on your A game because if it's not the athletes or the coaches that are going to be asking you, the passersby, the people that want to interact with you, even the fans, they're all super knowledgeable about what's going on. And they have the highest expectation for their team and their program. And the logo, I mean, that Stanford S that you wear on your shirt, just like Gonzaga, there's a a reputation that precedes you. So you don't want to let that down. Well, you're definitely doing a great job with it. And I love all the work you're putting out there. You're friends with one of my good buddies and fellow Gonzaga strength coach, Travis Knight. And you guys have a podcast together about lateral thinking. And I'd love to have you explain that concept and why you're drawn to it. That is a great question. So my personal love of lateral thinking is probably very different than Travis's. And we kind of came to this idea separately, but then found each other during COVID, which was kind of a unique and interesting story in itself. But my love of lateral thinking comes from my parents and from growing up in the Silicon Valley. Here, you have so many different people and mindsets and professions, and everybody is super creative and very, very smart. And when you have that kind of conglomeration and diversity of ideas, the conversations that you have even in high school and then going leading up into college and at the dinner table with my parents, each of whom are entrepreneurs, is very different than a lot of places that I've been. You know, I've spent time in North Carolina and also in Kansas. And I'm not saying that there's not a lot of lateral thinking happening in those places. It's just that when you're maybe in a job, you tend to stay in a job for 10, 15, 20 years, and maybe you only talk to people within those same circles. And as we know, that can kind of lead to echo chambers sometimes. Whereas here, you're in the grocery store and you might run into somebody who's a lawyer and then you are simultaneously talking to somebody who's an actor. And the diversity of ideas really stems and creates this confluence of creativity and lateral thinking principles of stealing ideas from other places and injecting them into your own profession. That's really what stimulated my love of the concept. What would you say about the principle of 3D, which is on planet Earth, we know there's only three planes of motion. There's a sagittal, frontal, transverse that makes up every movement that we make on the basketball court in life. And we know there's three translations. There's anterior, posterior, there's a lateral, and there's a vertical. Is there a 3D line of thinking? So we know there's linear thinking. We know there's lateral thinking. Is there a vertical thinking that we can actually add into the mix? Yeah, well... I actually just read the book, Lateral Thinking by Edward de Bono. And it's a great book because it talks about how we need both lateral and linear thinking. And to me, vertical and linear thinking might be the same, right? Which is like very much, there's a process, A leads to B, B leads to C. Whereas lateral is A could lead to B, but it could also lead to H, could also lead to Z. There's no necessary order to it. We need as humans both because problem solving while it needs the creativity and maybe the energy of lateral thinking in order to really come to maybe a unique solution at a certain point linear thinking is required because otherwise it's just sort of free floating ideas existing in space so 
one needs to have the ability, this cognitive dissonance of being able to hold both skill sets in their mind at once, which is how can I be creative? How can I think around a problem? How can I inject new and innovative ideas? But then how can I work through it in a linear fashion so as to actually make progress? Well, I haven't thought this through or done any research, so this could be totally off base. But you know, if we look at there's three colors that make up every color that we see on planet Earth. There's not two or there's not four. There's three primary colors and there's three planes of motion. There's not two. There's not just a sagittal frontal. There's not just two translations. Is there a third option? The only reason I bring that up is because this has been a really challenging year that's tested a lot of friendships and relationships because we get stuck sometimes in the left or the right, the good or the bad, the right or the wrong. And so I think about, I love how you're saying we need both. We need lateral and we need linear thinking. Is there a third missing piece that we would maybe have to anchor to be able to solve some of these problems that can't be really fully understood with just two lines of thinking? That's a great, very meta question. I don't know if I'm prepared or equipped to answer that, but I think it speaks to the whole concept of our podcast, which is Ride the Gray, in the sense that on one side of the spectrum is black and one side of the spectrum is white, and we're trying to find the space between. So we're trying to ask the questions that get us away from those boundaries. If you think about life as a freaking bowling alley with bumpers and we're careening off one and then careening off the other, can we kind of exist and flow in this middle? And without the risk of sounding kind of woo-woo, it takes bumping up against those bumpers in order to come back to the gray. So I think that I don't know where that third kind of thinking is going to come from, but I'm sure it's out there and I'm sure that it already exists. I am not as well informed on that one as I would like to be. Let's just say that. Well, either am I, like I said, I'm making this up. I'm just one concept that I learned through the Gray Institute is the concept of econcentric. And we know there's at least three kinds of muscle contractions. We have an isometric contraction, we have a concentric, and we have an eccentric. And so sometimes we'll think, well, is this an eccentric contraction or a concentric? But what we see in function is they're really all happening at the same time. So when I do a squat, we know that hip flexion is going to lengthen my hamstrings. And we know that knee flexion is going to shorten my hamstrings. So when I'm squatting, is my hamstring functioning eccentrically or concentrically? Well, kind of both. And maybe in one plane, a muscle might be concentrically shortening. If we think about the glutes with internal rotation, they lengthen. But with uh, hip extension, they shorten. So what happens when I'm going through internal rotation but hip extension? The glutes are lengthening in one plane of motion, shortening the other, but could they be actually isometrically contracting in the third plane of motion? And so I don't know the answer to this at all because I really prescribed your line of thinking. I really love the middle path. That's why I'm drawn to you guys' podcast, Riding the Gray, the idea of being able to see all the different subtleties that go on with the black and the white. And I think if you're not in the gray, you probably don't understand one end of the spectrum. If you can say... I really have a good vision for how I want to train my team or how I want to handle this relationship. I think if you're probably not in the gray, you probably haven't understood both sides of the problem. And so my thought would be, well, is there a third way? And once again, there might not be, or we might not have discovered yet, but it's kind of a fun thing to think about. If it's a truth in strength conditioning or if it's a truth in science, could it be a truth in behavioral science? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think it speaks to the idea of the generalist versus the specialist, which is anytime that you start going towards one or the other, 
there's almost like a FOMO of, am I missing out on that other thing? So I know for myself, I have seasons in my life of both being a generalist and being a specialist. And every time that I'm trending more towards being a generalist and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of great lateral thinking and I'm talking to these really creative, bright minds in law, in art, et cetera. I'm reading these fascinating books that have nothing to do with strength and conditioning. There's like this devil on my shoulder that's like, hey, Allie, but you're forgetting about all of those really important programming and periodization books that are really going to make the difference in your next program that you write. Then I'm like, oh, but okay. So I should like go back and maybe specialize, learn a little bit more about the eccentric component of muscle function, or as Travis would probably want me to do, read a little bit more about motor learning and motor behavior. But then I'm like, but no, I love this quote. So maybe this will tie what I'm trying to say together in a better way than I'm able to. But I love the quote of the future belongs to those who learn diverse skills and combine them in creative ways. And so every time I start to think I'm going to be a specialist, I come back to that. I'm like, no, you know what? There are too many specialists. And what we need is somebody that's a connector, somebody that's able to see the forest, the trees. Let's dig into that more because you had a great podcast episode on this. I think everyone on this phone call, or at least most people on this phone call, want to be an expert. They're either a basketball coach or a strength conditioning coach that want to master their craft. And sometimes we don't think about the pitfalls of being an expert. So tell me about some of those. You know, we all understand the benefits of being a specialist. What are some of the cons? Well, we like to, we, that would be me and Travis on our podcast, we talked about the concept of cognitive entrenchment. And that's sort of the root cause of the negative associated with being a specialist, which is when you are so deeply focused and narrowed in on one particular thing, as we know, you can tend to overlook some other important aspects. You can tend to become a little bit inflexible in your thinking. You maybe even have the curse of knowledge, which is that you have some blind spots, some cognitive biases even. And while I don't subscribe to the idea that being a generalist is also or should be the answer, I think that you should have some specialist qualities to you as well as some generalist. I think that it's important to understand the risks of being a true specialist and how injecting generalist principles can make you a stronger specialist, can allow you to adapt because our world is obviously changing literally by the minute. And I would ask you, Mike, right now, if you're a specialist and you're like locked in, I'm the one by 20 guy, I'm the Prelopin chart guy, I'm the keto diet guy, and you're having to adjust to a situation that's not ideal as the one that we're in, it's incredibly frustrating. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I think that's the gift and the curse of our field. And I'm sure other fields are like this. I just know strength conditioning so well is that I think myself, I want to find the one right answer. And as you dig into whatever that one right answer might be, you realize that all systems are flawed. Just some are more useful than others. And so one of the things I've really anchored to is this thought process. And I learned it through the Gray Institute. It's called the PST thought process where you really anchor towards principles, things that we know that can always get us back to center. So we know that things like gravity, ground reaction force, mass and momentum, things like three planes of motion that are just tried and true. When I get lost, those are the things I want to dig into more. And then from there, we can start forming strategies which are going to be flawed. And then especially my techniques, boy, I make so many mistakes. So I think if you're someone that's 
really tied into one technique, whatever that would be. I'm not going to pick on any specializations. Maybe you believe in a certain rep scheme or a certain way of stretching. If that's your one way, it's going to be super successful in this one situation with this one person. But we don't work with just one athlete. We work with athletes. We work with teams. And even the athlete that it might work with that one day, they're not the same from moment to moment. So I think your concept of being able to be a generalist and be able to pull from other foundational truths that govern more than just a strength conditioning field, but some of those truths that govern architecture or learning pedagogies, those things could be applied to the strength conditioning. So, but how are you balancing that? You know, I think someone like you that needs to be a specialist, you have to understand how the human body works because your ladies need to stay healthy. They need to be strong, powerful, dynamic athletes. How are you balancing digging into that spot with also being more of a generalist so you can be able to laterally think and be able to hop to new conclusions? I think that's a great point. And there's two parts to my answer. The first part is Occam's razor in that the simplest answer is typically the best answer. So when I tend to specialize, I tend to overwhelm myself because there's so much that you can know about a concept and you start to realize how much you don't know about something. And you can really get into the weeds very quickly, especially in our profession. And every time I, I start to feel this overwhelm, it's like almost like a wave is crashing over you. I just go back and I'm like, okay, Occam's razor, what is the lowest common denominator here? What is the absolute essential that we need? It's nice to be in Instagram worthy. It's nice to have these fun looking exercises that are going to draw in recruits and all of that good stuff. But at the end of the day, you can get the same, if not more effective, minimal effective dose out of the basics. And I think that your knowledge has to continue to evolve. And I'm not saying that the same four exercises that I used in 2017, I'm still using. Obviously, I'm constantly adapting, but it's taking what I currently do and injecting doubt and comparing it to what currently exists all the time instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater every time there's this new cool idea that I see. And I think that's how I, I managed to not overwhelm myself in the strength and conditioning route. And then that frees up space around to have more flexibility and ideas that are generated from outside influences. And I've actually noticed that since I've started thinking about ideas outside of strength and conditioning, my strength and conditioning principles and ideas have grown. Like suddenly this like web of ideas has expanded and I'm like, oh, we could bring in that from jujitsu or we could steal something from that idea of the foot coming from balance and just like so many places to steal from if you just kind of like open your eyes and look up and see what's out there. Okay, in a weird way, you're really making me feel good about myself that sometimes you feel lost and insecure about things because sometimes I feel like I have to know it all and put it together. You're in front of these 15 athletes and it's your job to be able to say, this is how we're going to get you better for the game of basketball, knowing that there's not one right way. And the more you want to be able to search and find better, more effective ways, the more you realize, oh my gosh, maybe the way I was doing it last year wasn't the best way. And so I think that kind of sets in. So I love that idea of maybe going back to the principles, going to the simple side of complexity when you get lost. One of the things I struggle with is sometimes I might use that as a crutch. I really struggle with that balance of commitment. I study one thing for an entire year. So this coming year, I'm going to study nutrition every single day for 365 days. And I love that idea of grit and really digging below the surface. But I can guarantee this, whether it's month three or month six or seven, at some point, 
my friend is going to come in with a new shiny book with a new concept that I'm like, I want to read it so bad. And I don't know if I want to read it because it alleviates the pain and the monotony of digging, making it through the dip, or if it's because it's the right thing to do. How are you balancing that part of it of knowing when to stay the course and dig deeper into an area versus when to go lateral? And this is going to be probably, it could even be a throwaway answer, but I would say when I start to lose interest in it, and I'm not saying that I do think there is some stick with itness that's important, but a lot of the things that I'm learning for lateral thinking are things that I enjoy learning about. And that's what's driving me forward. And when an idea no longer seems to resonate with my principles and my values, I kind of push that one away. I kind of bring it in just like a thought comes into your head. I let it sink in there just for a little bit. And if it feels uncomfortable or if it's just not fitting with the way that I like to prioritize or the it doesn't meld with my value system, I just kind of let it go. And I'm at peace with that. I don't know if that's an answer that's worthy of the question that you ask. This is a good question. But I try not to let myself get too wrapped up in what other people are doing because I play the comparison game a lot. And I'm like, oh, that person's reading that book and they're probably going to be better at that than me. And it really comes down to reassessing my principles, my values, what's important to me and my athletes, and then always comparing the new stuff that's coming into that. That's a perfect answer. It kind of goes back to what you've been saying all along with the ride to gray, which is it's not black or white. And I also like that you don't have to choose one or the other. I love how you are digging deep into stuff when you feel like maybe you've hit a dead end with it, or maybe you've got its usefulness, you can move lateral. Uh, I do like the idea of being able to stick with stuff when it really gets hard. I think about the lateral thinking of uh, Travis Knight's a genius at analogies. I love analogies too. I always think about playing guitar because nobody is born with a gift of being able to play guitar. Nobody. And yet every single person can do it if they make it through the dip. Everyone's going to have calloused, you know, bloody fingers and they're going to feel uncoordinated and you got to keep going till you form the callus. The problem is most people won't make it through the dip. And so I think about what are those things that we have to just stay in the the battle with? We have to just keep struggling, but we can't be singularly focused. That would be a black or white thing. How do we add in the gray and, and bring in some of those other things? So I think that was a great answer. Well, okay. First of all, I didn't know that you played the guitar. I also play the guitar and the dip is real and those fingers are just absolutely callous for sure. But I love what you said, and I wanted to play off of that because and something I listened to in your episode with Travis, which I hope everybody goes and listens to, that man just can has a way with words. But I think if you do this right, you can have both the stick with itness that we're talking about, but also a little bit of autonomy and freedom and gray. And let me kind of explain how I'm thinking about that. So for example, in my program, we've started implementing a lot more autonomy. And that's also a product of talking to both Travis and also my mentor here, Tyler Friedrich, who's our director. But if you do your job as a coach and you empower the athlete to explore a lot of variety and a lot of different variants of exercise, and they kind of are able to figure out what works for them, they're going to buy into the program a lot more because it works and it feels good and they have a little bit more choice and and buy-in, right? Well, then you can push them to make that harder because ultimately they've made the selection. Okay, well, now let's add some intensity. So like Travis has said in the past to you, I know, 
we're more apt to stick with something and engage in that mental toughness component when we've picked it and we're bought into the process. And so I think as long as I come back to this first principle idea of the athlete knows their body best and with proper education, let them choose. And then the mental toughness component, the stick with it component comes from just adding intensity to their choice. So give us a real world example of what that looks like in a weight room with you. So I had a, obviously a shortened preseason this year. We were not back in the gym until October and we had a shortened eight week preseason period. And I made a commitment to using a lot more autonomy this year. I was like, we have no time to waste. I'm not holding anybody's hand this year. So initially, I tried to set them up with as many different variations of the basic movements. So we did like 10 different single leg squats, five different bilateral squats. We were hinging in all sorts of planes of motion. We were pushing and pulling. And it was great because it served almost as GPP, but also this base layer foundation for what I wanted to use later. And now that we've established that, now that we're in season, I can say, hey, today's lift, you're going to pick a bilateral squat of your choice, and you're going to go for four sets of difficult, right? And because they've chosen both the exercise variation, of which is still within a bucket of what I want them to get out of the workout, and I've told them sort of this range of what I want them to get out of the workout, there's also some fluctuation in um, intensity there. But by and large, our athletes are pretty intuitive and that's kind of a luxury of working at Stanford. But I can say to that kid, hey, you pick the exercise. All right, now let's make it harder. And it feels good to them. And they're absolutely more prone to adding a little bit more weight now that we've set that up. But it comes from all that preparation on the front end for sure. What a great way to do it. And I love that idea that we're training more than the body. We're also, the athlete has a mind and a spirit. And so I think that allows some of that autonomy and, and, and people to have that intrinsic motivation or that internal locus of control. I think that just plays perfectly into what you're all about. Do you actually talk to your athletes about lateral thinking? What stuff are you doing intentionally to kind of help them broaden their horizons? That's a great question. Actually, I, I never have pushed them to listen to my podcast because that's definitely not my place. And the podcast is sort of just for me and my own learning. But because of the podcast, I actually had a conversation with one of my basketball players who came up to me and said, hey, I saw that you interviewed this guy, Dennis Boyle, who's one of the founding partners at IDEO, which is a design firm. And she is a, I think it's industrial design or product design major at Stanford. And she was like, I want to intern at that company. And then we started having this incredible conversation, not about strength and conditioning, not about basketball, not about sport, but about how to bring creativity to your workspace. And I was like, this is never a conversation that I would have had before. And I'm way out of my lane. But how about that for a human connection that goes beyond the, hey, how are you feeling today? Hey, did you eat your breakfast? Hey, did you get your 20 grams of protein in at lunch? I'm tired of that conversation, Mike. I'm so tired of that conversation because those kids don't want to have that conversation either. And it excites me that we're having the conversation about product design. It excites them. We're connecting on a level that's so far beyond sport. And at the end of the day, that's all I care about because I do not care how many points they score. I don't care how many rebounds they get. I think it's great if they do play well, but 
I'm here for the kid that is going to go leave Stanford and be a happy, healthy, functioning individual. Don't we have the best job in the world where we not only do we get to learn about the human body, but we get to make these personal connections in our women's basketball team is they're phenomenal basketball players, phenomenal athletes, but even more so they are the best people. And it's so fun to get to know them and be able to find out their life outside of basketball, which they're human beings. We see, get to see them on TV doing all these great feats of strength and athleticism, but they're human beings. What other kind of stuff are you doing to be able to make personal connections or be able to work on the mental side of sport? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I love being on the road with them because I get to see them every day in their friend group, in their non-competitive mindset. You know, when they're in the weight room or they're on the court for practice, they're kind of locked in, they're ready to go, they know what's expected of them. But in the in-between times on the bus, when they're doing their TikTok dances before the game or after the game, even when we're just kind of sharing a meal together, now obviously everything's very distant, we're socially distant, but you see their quirks and I love seeing people's quirks because that's what makes us human and that's what we can laugh about. And I think that humor and laughter is the shortest distance between two people and something that's really allowed us to get through the grueling season that we're having. I mean, think about it. We're just on the road for three straight weeks. We're going to go on the road for another who knows how long. We're probably never going to play in our home stadium. And if you're not having fun, you'll never get through that kind of environment. Yeah, it has been a crazy season. And I think us as coaches, we've been going through some of the same challenges as the athletes. You know, sometimes we're saying the athletes have to do this. They have to be more mentally tough. They have to be more resilient. And now as coaches, we have to practice what we preach because some of these games that are scheduled are being canceled, the travel, the practices, the restrictions. And so um, I think we're realizing that these athletes, they have to go through being a student and they have to figure out all the stuff that happens when they're being young. And then they're throwing on this uncertainty. Um, what a challenging time for them. Yeah, I really think that my value and my purpose on our staff, and this is different for everybody, is to be a conduit between the student athletes and the coaching staff and to kind of be boots on the ground and hear what they're saying and how they're feeling. You know, we do a wellness questionnaire, which I have them fill out every morning, and it's very simple. How'd you sleep? How much did you sleep? How's your body feeling just generally? How stressed are you? And I think there's one other question I'm not remembering right now, but it's just a conversation starter. And it's a, hey coach, just so you know, so-and-so has had three days in a row of not sleeping or their body's not feeling right. And things like that. It's little conversations, micro conversations, right? It's, it doesn't have to be a grand gesture where we sit down and have this long-winded, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? But just just little things. And that consistently over time allows you to have a better picture of what's really happening. And I think that, again, my role is very different this year. I'm, we're not able to train as much as I'd like to because we're on the road all the time and gyms are closed and, and all that. But we make it work. Like I mean, they're staying in a hotel right now and we're on Christmas break. And I got a text from one of the girls. They're supposed to be off for five days. Hey, Coach Allie, do you think you could come over to the hotel and, and take us through a little workout? And I was like, yes, because look, I will know I have won at my position and at Stanford if at the end of the day, they like to train and they like to be in the weight room. 
And if that's all that they get from this, I will feel like I've been successful because this is just a small story before I know I'm rambling. But my last role at Kansas, I got to finals week of working, you know, I was working with soccer and basketball and swimming and golf, a whole lot of teams at the time. And I got to finals week and during finals week, we like to do what we call playground workouts, which is you come in, we got something bare bones skeleton written up on the board, you know, it says like, do a squat, you choose, maybe do some bicep curls, whatever. It's finals week. We just want you to feel good. And I, I'll never forget this. An athlete said, yeah, but I don't, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, you can do whatever you want to do. They're like, but I don't even know where to start. And I was like, well, what do you want to do? Like, it's completely free. Like you could do 10 bicep curls and leave. They're like, well, I would really just rather if you just wrote it for me. I don't want to think about it. And to me, that was like a dagger. I was like, wow, have I really not taught them anything? Have I not let them enjoy the weight room enough where they want to take ownership of designing a program? And I get it. Not everybody's going to want to do that, but let me empower you to love what you're doing in here, want to make your body feel better, and then take that for the rest of your life. That's a skill set you can have forever. So funny. If, if that's any reflection on the strength coach, I, I have the, the same problem because some of my athletes would do the same thing. But I love your take on just the personal side, the connection. If we can really dig into the idea that we're building better athletes, not just for the game of basketball, but for the game of life, I think everyone's going to win. Tell me about some ways that some things that you're digging into right now to become a specialist and some things that you're digging into to become a generalist. It's a great question. I'll start with a generalist. I'm reading a book right now called Improv Wisdom. And Improv Wisdom is by a Stanford professor who teaches improv to professionals. And it's not improv for comedy, but it's the principles of improvisation and how that can help us be better communicators and just generally better thinkers. And the principles are super simple and we can all apply them. And yet, I think we overlook them because we think improv, we think comedy, we think silly, we think not serious. But for example, one of the principles that she talks about is yes and. And anybody that's done improv has has heard of yes and. But I love the idea of instead of saying but, no matter what somebody says to you, say yes and contribute something else to the conversation because but either refutes what they're saying or it shuts them down. And even if you don't mean it to be that way, subconsciously, you're saying, well, my idea trumps yours. If you say, and you're building off their idea, your value brought value to me. And here's what we can do from here. And then the other principles are information is a gift. So like the more specific context and color you can give sets the other person up to have a better, more insightful answer. So like if you ask a better question, you're going to get a better answer. If you say, hey, Mike, how was your day? And you say, um, it was okay. Uh, you know, nothing much happened. Whereas if I say, hey, Mike, how was your day? And you say, Allie, it was great. You know, first I went to the dog park and then me and my son went and played basketball for five hours. And then I went to Larry's burger joint and I got a double cheeseburger. I have so much that I can play off of. Information is such a gift. And when we're thinking about our athletes and talking to them and asking them questions, we can implement just a few of these little improv tactics and you're going to get just such a much richer interaction because life is improv. Have you ever gone into a conversation knowing exactly how it's going to go? Even this one, right? 
So cool. You know, just a couple episodes ago, I had my old college roommate, one of my best friends, and he is a, an actor down in LA, professional actor, taking all these improv classes. And the whole episode was about how basketball, all the lessons he learned in sport has helped him become successful in the acting improv world. And this is so cool because now I can read a book about how improv can make me better in my life. And I think you're so correct. I love that yes and. Someone said, anything that you say before, but doesn't matter. So I love the yes and. I love the information as a gift. Okay, you got me sold. Now I got to go more general. What a great book. Yeah, it really is. And that's what it gets me excited about lateral thinking is that like I can take an idea like improv, which... I would have thought is kind of like, okay, like, sure, cool to read about, maybe fun to watch on TV, but like, how can that ever help me? And no, I can immediately put that into my program today. I can immediately use that in my communication with my family, friends, colleagues, et cetera. And that's the purpose of lateral thinking is no idea is a bad idea. It's just a matter of how you combine them in unique ways to help you in your situation. I love it. So that's your lateral thinking. What are you doing linear thinking right now? What's what's kind of What are you digging deeper into? I feel like Travis is sponsoring this podcast. Travis has got me on a a motor learning kick. So I'm definitely diving deeper into the motor learning, some of the Franz Bosch stuff, a lot more of the coordination. It's deep and it really challenges me. And I need that. I have to read only like a paragraph at a time and try to ingest that information because the thinking and the, the science that's behind that is just so far Uh, more abstract than anything I've ever read before. And so it's like (laughs) brain fuel, you know, you're just like, okay, I got to take like a walk after that one. (laughs) Oh, I hear you. I'm reading Anatomy of Agility right now. And same thing, I read about a page and that's about good to kind of just sit in uh, and stew for a while. So gosh, this is so fun. You love guitar. We're reading the same books, comedy. We got to do this more often. It was so fun getting to finally connect with you. Where can our listeners find out more about you? First of all, Mike, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. We've obviously just kind of met and interacted for the first time, but I hope that we stay in touch for a long time because you're doing some really cool stuff. But I would say people can get a hold of me. I'm on social media. Instagram is kirshner.ally and I'm not on Twitter. I um, had to stay away from the Twitter, the Twitter verse for a little bit, but people can come follow our podcast. We would love for you to engage in some conversation around that and give it a listen, search through the episodes, see if there's anything that tickles your fancy. It's not strength and conditioning related whatsoever. We try to bring on professionals from, we have one from Facebook, one from IDO, all sorts of cool places. And we will be resuming that hopefully very soon. Uh, we got it lost in the sauce of season. You, I don't know how you're continuing right now. Compliments to you. I don't know how we would continue this, but yeah, Ride the Gray, Gray with an E is the name of our podcast. And you can follow at Ride the Gray on all social media channels. And I'll be following you on TV. And hopefully we get to see each other maybe in the national championship game. That would be the one time I probably would be excited to play against Stanford. Uh, just all right, man. I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. Well, just congratulations on all your success. And it's just so fun to see the heart behind uh, the strength conditioning that you provide to all the ladies. And they're really lucky to have you. Thank you again, Mike. It's been a pleasure. That's a wrap on episode 73. And I hope you join us next week when my dad should be back in action. And to all of you who are committed, well, earn your X. Earn your X.